hurt and traumatized in different ways. That's when we pray and sing that you're good. That means something radically different. And I know that there's some in this room that when we say that, we shiver. And we, we sing that hoping that we mean it. But I know that you're a good father see how vulnerable and fragile we are and we feel. And I know that you're honored by that faith. And so I pray that you would fortify people today. That we may be singing and proclaim it even more confidently next time and more confidently next time until our story is just a story of your goodness and your faithfulness. say it before we get into that was it that's what I wanted to say the new voice I've been working on now one thing I want to say before we get into the message I know a few of you were, were saddened that Jamel only gave you 12 minutes to pass the love and you were still in the hall when he was talking um, the only thing I want to say on that is we everybody who's in here we you're, you're family and so we want you with us as we transition, and uh, we don't want to lose you in this moving. Anytime you move, communication can lack and all that. So, so everybody knows next week, whatever time you come, whatever time you need to hug and all that kind of stuff, we won't be right here. So if, if you come here, it'll, it'll look like we had a short service. That's never happened. We're, we're, we're down the street at 1212. We will have stuff for everybody to be a part of, okay? We'll make sure all the nails are picked up and things that are dangerous for kids. Uh, there will be meaningful work for everyone to be a part of. Uh, we're going to have as much of the dust up so people's lungs are fine and, and all those kind of, we're going to give you a safe environment. We're not going to like throw you in a mine or something, but, but we're going to work together next week, okay? Uh, so starting next week, we will, we will be down at 12-12 at one church time, which Technically is 10, just in case nobody knew. I don't know. About once every six months, we throw that out there. I don't know. Most of our worship team knows, right, George? <laughs> I'm sorry, kind of. Okay, so this was, for JCPS anyway, this was back to school week. Kids, you made it. Yeah, so one of these years, the parents are going to actually throw a party, and we're going to all take the day off of work, and we're going to hang out and party, because we're due. But anyway, one of the things about back to the school and moving up and all the like shopping and getting your, your first day of school outfit together and all of this, one of the other things that happens is uh, you, you get to start fresh, sometimes in a new school. How many of you students started a new school this year? Good, good. Uh, I don't want to follow up with a question, so we're just going to say good. But when you're in a new school, you like carve out a new identity, right? And you kind of pick out an outfit that's going to represent your new identity and all this kind of stuff. So you have 
this identity stuff going on, and you also have habits that come out. Like, every year, my kids forget, particularly one of them, Durant, that you have to wake up for school. And you have to prepare months in advance. Because summer schedule at my house is like you sleep when you want, which usually means the day for some reason. And then when I sleep, they watch loud movies. That's how my house functions. So then you go back to the school year, and my kids are all middle school, high school now, so they wake up like early, early, like come to my house for coffee, because by 7, 7.15, my house is quiet. This is crazy. But you've got to redo your sleep patterns, right? And you've got to redo, like remember how to study and all this kind of stuff. And usually when you go back to school, they start you with where you left off and do a little bit of review, right? Well, we have a little bit of that right now. We're about to go to our new space, right? And that's a big deal. And when we go to that new space, we have a formed identity. And most likely, this is an identity that we already are sometimes, but we're a little sloppy on. You know what I mean? Like, we already know this is us, but like when you get a new start, you're just going to be that, like from the beginning. You've already been it for minutes, but they've also seen you're like a other side. And so then like you move into this new space, this new school, you're just going to be this new person. That's just who I'm going to be. We have this opportunity as a community. And we have an opportunity to get rid of sloppy habits. I think in our lives, we probably have some sloppy habits. So we have an interesting one that happened because of this room. Some of them are mandatory. Like, like some of the, ha- we have had to adjust to like sometimes heat, sometimes air conditioning for a couple of years. So that like changes the way we do stuff. Jamel and I have joked that I have changed the way that I preach completely because I don't know if you know this, but there's a pole in the middle of our room. (laughs) Nobody plants a church and is like, where could we put a pole? How about dead center in the stage? That would be great. So when I go somewhere else that doesn't have a pole, I look like someone who's just trying to get their steps in because I just wander space to space because I want to like see people. So I've got bad habits because of the space that I was in. It served that space, but I've outgrown it, hopefully. Hopefully when we get to September and we get to preach in this new space, hopefully, more important, the Holy Spirit speaks through it. But besides that, hopefully, I don't carry the habits that fit my old space into the new one. Right? Does that make sense? We all have this. We as a community have some of these things. And part of them come out of where we're just fuzzy on who we are. They come out of spaces where we just are unclear. And you don't have to go through life for more than a couple days before people would love to tell you who you are, but it's contrary to who Scripture says that you are. So there, you, like you probably know this, but do you know how we know that it's, it's Scooby's birthday tomorrow? Because the birth certificate says so. Right? I mean, people know the story, too, and can say, like, here it is on the, on the calendar. But because a birth certificate said so. Someone who can define when birth happened says it on a certificate. Before we had certificates, a lot of times it was in the family Bible, right? And it was written in the Bible. And then you had to keep that Bible, not because it was just the word of God, but it also was like the medical record of the family. Here's when people were born, and here's when people passed, and we have to keep this because this is the authority of people's lives. When it comes to your identity, 
You are who God says you are. And we need to know who he says we are, and we can believe that because he's the authority. He made you. He made you. Justin Brown works at, at First Build, and they develop all of these like appliances and stuff. And when you make an appliance, you get to name it because you made it. You, he could, he, I hope he makes something and names it like something really awesome. I don't even know what. But that has nothing to do with the product. That would, that would be really funny to me. But nobody does that. They always name it in, in line with what it does. It almost always makes sense. The name almost always makes sense with the function. And this comes to us. If you forgot, you are a daughter of the king, the God most high, the heavenly father. You are a son of the king, the God most high, the heavenly father. And that daughter and that son gets to function like the king. But that's not the only identity he's given you. And if you're wrestling at all like I have this week and who you are, I want to invite you right now for just a minute to close your eyes. And I want to read to you part of your identity. Okay? Because scripture says so, this gets to be true of anyone who puts their faith in him. Jesus said these words, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. But you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand to, and it gives light to all the people in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are salt, and you are light. And in the last words for us, before we go to 1212, this new space, who we are to go as, we are to go as salt, and we are to go as light. Now, let's sit on this for a minute, because we've got a weird relationship with both of those things. I was in a meeting this week where we were talking about issues in, in the city and all this, and somebody came up with with light pollution. And we were talking about how there's just too much light in the city and we can't see the stars. And this, this is true of our day. This is not true of when scripture was written. We have a bad habit of whatever is true today, we say presupposes what was written. So we're like, well, light, that's not that meaningful. We've got light everywhere. I'm not that important. I'm, I'm pretty ordinary. No, this is written at a time when you go to sleep at night because you can't see. Salt, we've got a weird relationship with, right? A lot of doctors are telling us, like, you, you need to cut salt out. And then we, that's when we say, like, no, I won't. But salt in the day was different than it is today. You know, salt, when God created salt, he didn't put it in a shaker. That's not the way that it came. In Jesus' day, they didn't go around with, like, little Morton's cans. That's not what happened. Salt was viewed very different. In fact, salt was a way, it was actually payment. When soldiers fought in the military, they would get salt blocks as their, as their salary. Salary comes from the word salt. Like they have the same origin. You would get paid in a chunk of, of salt, and that's because before, like, refrigeration, that's how you preserved things. You go kill an animal, or you go find some meat. Hopefully it was alive at one point. 
and then uh, you salt it. Like, we think beef jerky is all great. No, that was like the way you did it in the day. My, my family is, is Norwegian, as you know. We had this gross fish that we would eat. The fish was originally good, and then we would put it in big barrels that other things would be better in the barrel, but we put fish, and we put a lot of salt, and like other things that make it smell horrendous. And then as Vikings, we would go try to conquer the world and tell this horrible story now. But when we landed, we would have our fish. And there weren't refrigerator parts to the ship. And they didn't know how long they would be in there. So they just said, and I don't know why you need to do this on an ocean. Because there's probably fish in the ocean. But, I, you know, I didn't live back then. But they would go all around the world with these vats full of salted fish. And I don't think the first person who ate it thought it tasted good. I think they knew it was preserved. That's what mattered. It was much less about like, oh, I love the flavor of this, but much more like this won't kill me. You see, salt fights off decay. That's the job of salt. It goes into places that are dying, and salt goes in and preserves life there. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. This is not literally you are salt to be poured out into the earth, because that's actually how you kill a field. Back in the day, when, when you conquered an enemy's land, you went and you poured a bunch of salt in their field, because then they would lose crops for years. When Jesus says, you are salt to the earth, what he's saying is, to the people who walk my earth, you are to be salt. You are to be one who battles decay. You're to be one who preserves. You're to be in relationship with my people. We know this verse of Jesus. I want to read it to you. John 10, 10. He says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. He came that they would have life. Now let's do a little theology here. When you believe, the Holy Spirit lives within you, correct? The Holy Spirit is God who lives within you. His function becomes your function. He comes to bring life. Now the Holy Spirit lives within you, and your purpose is to bring life. Your purpose is to preserve life, is to see a glimmer of life in somebody and call that out. Hey, I see some decay, but let me point out the life there. Let me preserve that and keep that going. This is life, and not just life dwindling, but life more abundant. But then there's this really interesting thing that Jesus says. He says, uh, let me make sure, yeah. He says, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? This makes no sense to us, right? Because chemistry of salt is salt. So what is he actually talking about? Well, again, they didn't have salt shakers and little Morton cans. Salt looked much more like, in most of the world, salt looks like this. This is how you get salt. That's a salt block. Salt is in that block. And there's a process of pulling the salt out of the block. And what Jesus is saying is if it doesn't taste salty, it, there's not salt in that anymore. And so all that is is like a block of dust. And if all that's left is a block of dust, let's just throw it aside and trample it under your feet. 
A block of dust does nothing to decay. It does nothing to persevere. It does nothing to preserve. You and I are called to be salt. Now, right now, we are probably some pretty rough-looking salt blocks. Right now, I might be like 2% salt and a whole lot of dust. But thank, thank the Lord that the Holy Spirit lives within me, and he res- restores and redeems me, and the decay passes away. He speaks above that. That's what healing is, right? That's what his kingdom come, his will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what that is. Hey, your life might be 98% decay, but his kingdom is coming right here, right now. And next week, he might take some ground back. So an interesting thing happens with our worship team. I love our worship team, but I play a little game that they don't know they play with me. And I played it again today. I like to set my stuff on something because it's really awkward walking around like this, right? But every time I set something down, someone takes it. But the beauty is it, then it's theirs because there's steps on it. So then I go find something. And it's a really fun game. Our, the, the assumption is just, well, it's there. I'm, I'm going to use it. That's, as soon as I use it, that's mine. I think the kingdom is a little bit more like that. We tap dance as if we don't have anything. Our, our father is the king of the world. And if there's a table in front of me, well, I'm going to put my, my book down and claim this here. And if he is one who preserves life, then I'm going to assume that my life will be preserved as well. There's some circumstances in my life that will speak to the opposite. There's some circumstances that love to point out the decay in my life. And they're not wrong. Those are the ones that are really hard, right? Is when somebody points something out, it is decay, and they're correct. But the Holy Spirit is greater. And so that might be who I was. That might be even who I am in this moment. But my father is my father. And it's all his, so I'm going to, like, plant my feet right here in his healing, in his kingdom, in his persevering of life. How does salt lose its saltiness? By stop being salt. When there's no more salt left then we might as well be just trampled as a block of dust. But for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, that's not reality. So practically, what does this mean? It means, where do you resemble Jesus? He's come to bring life and life more abundantly. How about you? How about you? Let's look at this one. How many of your thoughts are focused on decay? Here's an interesting thing. You can have the same circumstance but think completely differently. You can have a horrendous circumstance happening in your life, but your trajectory can be towards decay. This is going to be the defining thing that cripples me, that ruins my life, that identifies me to the negative. Or you can have a trajectory from that same circumstance that's pointed towards life that asks, Holy Spirit, what are you going to do here? I hate this moment. It's okay to pray that. I hate this moment. I don't like this space that I'm in, but that doesn't change who you are. So where are you preserving life? This is where we're to capture our thoughts. Our work is to say like, okay, I'm about to spiral into 10 negative thoughts. I need to capture that thought, submit it to God, and ask his Holy Spirit that's within me to change the course here. Sometimes that means you make a phone call. 
Sometimes that means you exercise. That's one of the best ways to change your thoughts. So move fast. Get your heart beating. Sometimes we, we need, uh, I, you know what you need, probably. We just don't do it. But in your thoughts, are they focused on decay or life? Do your words preserve life or do they destroy it? Your actions, what about those? A question for you to kind of evaluate on is do those near you feel encouraged and alive because you're there? And here's the beauty. If they are, it's because God's working within you. It's not because you're like robotically doing all the correct things. It's not about correct things. It's much more about being open to God using us. It's about being open to God changing us and transforming us. It's not about formulaic fixes to things and us being more correct. It's about saying, Holy Spirit, refine me. You called me salt. Let me believe that I'm salt, that I'm here to preserve life and your light. You know, you never know how great light is until you're in the dark. You don't know how necessary it is until you're in a really dark space, figuratively or literally. So I, I took uh, Jackson and Durant, two of my sons. They were great. They went to a baseball game with me. We went and ate a bunch of barbecue in Kansas City, and it was a fun couple days. There is a but, though. But when you travel with kids or Jamel, they put their suitcases wherever they want. <laughs> Actually, he doesn't do that, but it sounded funny. You, you know what I mean? You get in the room, and then you act like it's your room, and you just set a suitcase wherever you want. Well, when it's light out, that makes sense. That's fine. But this last time we traveled, I had the far bed, and the lights were off. And I don't try to ever wake up my children. If they want to sleep for 72 straight hours, I'm cool with that. <laughs> so it's dark out. I really got to use the restroom because I'm getting older. And I realize I have no clue how to get to the bathroom. I know where it is, but I don't know where anything else is. And I fell over six shoes, candy wrappers. I fell into a suitcase. I came up with Durant's shirt on. All sorts of stuff was happening. Because when it's dark, you don't know what you're walking into. You don't know what's there. If you don't believe me, join me like... What, at, when we get to 12, we won't turn any lights on, and you just walk in. You won't do it. I see people, when the lights are off in this room, we walk in like, we've been here for years. But we don't know what's there. When it's dark out, we, we just, we're lost. And we are called to be light. Light exposes what is dark. So if salt is for you and relationships that you have, Light is for much more a cultural thing. Light exposes darkness for everybody. Light's purpose is for everybody in the house, Jesus says, to be able to see. And there's some things that flourish in darkness, right? There's some things that grow when it's dark. And they start to die when it's light. And they need to. Those things usually bring about decay. See, this world desperately needs light. This world's eyes have adjusted like, you know, those caves in, in southern Kentucky that no light has ever hit the water and there's fish that actually don't even have eyes anymore. Like so many 
generations of fish have happened that the fish just have never seen. And they've just learned to function without light. And they've learned to, like, survive. And they think that that's life. And cultures can be very much like that. We can be blind for a long time and just never really realize that we're blind and never really realize that we're not as smart as we think that we are. Never realize who we're hurting. Never look out for the way that systems are hurting people or people are hurting people because, well, we're just, we've grown accustomed to the dark. But that's more a statement on us living into our function than on God and his kingdom coming. The way that he works is his people are to be light. Here's, here's how Paul says it. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walk as children of light. Think of how you walk in the darkness, which for me is like very much like this. And think how much more confidently you walk in the light. And we're told wherever you're walking, walk as children of light. When the lights are on, I feel like I belong. I feel much more safe. And if I'm in my father's house, not just the church, but like if my father has control, then like, okay, I can walk different. You can walk different. There's plenty of darkness that will try to trip us up, but we walk as if we're in the light. Practically, what does that mean? That we walk towards what is good, what is right, what is true. If we don't know what is good, what is right, what is true, we've got a book that tells us. We've got his word that tells us. We've got a community that testifies to it. That's, that's what we're here for. And yes, maybe we have been in the dark for so long that we don't know it, but this is why we have scripture. And this is part of why we have community, is to say to one another, Hey, this light is exposing this in your life, in our lives, in our culture. There are things that need to be called to light. Now, we, we've been committed to some of this stuff. Particularly like six months or so after we, we started. We, we, I remember we were on this side of the room and we had our very first 2020. Some of you guys were here. It was right after uh, Flando Castillo and Alton Sterling and the police in, in Dallas. And we had an honest conversation where some of you were extremely courageous to just share where you were at and we started having race conversations because in our culture there needs to be light shed on race it's not the only thing but there needs to be light shed on that so that's happening in broader scales now i want to tell you on september 18th which is a tuesday night at 6 30 and and I'll, you'll get all this in an email and all over the place but on the 18th at 6 30 at the table in Portland, we are going to be a part of conversations on race that are citywide. In the last three weeks, uh, Jamel and I have had a chance to sit with, I think it's 23 pastors. In two weeks, we have 12 more who want to sit down and have their churches come to a conversation where we start talking about, like, we're, we're coming from the Bible, but here's why race matters. Let's shed some light on this one. There's some systems and structures that are broken, and let's start putting light on it. We've done this from the beginning, but here's, what, here's where the temptation is. Light shines on something. Like, let, we'll use this instant. We, we start to see the race challenge, and then we run to everything but the kingdom of God to start to define that. 
And it's good to listen to the sciences and other things, but sometimes we let them be the authority. We run to sociology and psychology and economics and all this kind of stuff, and we ask them to paint a picture of why this conversation matters, when reality is it matters because God says that it matters. This conversation matters because God said that they're made in my image. In my image, I have made them. That's the final authority here. There's this author named Ronald Nabar who says this. Let the church, in dealing with the race issue, avail itself of every measure of enlightenment that modern science, anthropological, and psychological can contribute to the issue. But let us not forget its own resources, or rather, the resource of the gospel. This is what light does. Let's learn from everybody but our authority scripture. Let's go utilize what is happening. But, but the final authority, the one who calls right, right, and left, left, that's God and his word. That's where true light comes from. And that's what matters here. This is what we are called to. And as we live like this, being people who expose darkness to light, then we see how, how, scripture, how Jesus ends this part. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to the, your Father who is in heaven. This isn't about you and I looking good. This is about our Father being seen accurately. That's what it's about. It's about maybe our kids, when, when they get together, or maybe like three years from now, we're down at 12-12 and some new people have joined us and all of this. Maybe then when we sing, you are good, you are good, you are good, we believe it differently. That's the point of it. The point of it is in between the choruses, we are telling our testimony of, let me tell you of the 15 ways I know that he's good in the last month. That we're so focused on him preserving life that, that we start counting those things instead of the ways that we fear that he's let us down. That we start noticing the ways that he's healed in ways that we didn't even know counted before. Now here's the truth of this. Most of us people really enjoy being salt or really enjoy being light. We either really enjoy being in conversations where we encourage other people or we really enjoy going into spaces and saying, hey, that's wrong. Let me tell you about the kingdom. Hey, that, that's darkness. Let me tell you about the light. Every one of us is called to be both. It's great that we have a preference. But every one of us gets to be pushed in the other. So you see, we preserve life for our house. And, and sometimes we, we preserve life for our house and we cover the little candle and hope because we can't imagine that God is so good that all the life for all of us is preserved. Or we live like a flood life, but we decay in the soul. He's good enough that we can be both. God is big enough to produce both within us a maturity that I know that our church is desperately needing where we as a body expose darkness and preserve life. That's who we're to be. That's what we're to do. And in that way, if we, if we allow the Holy Spirit to do that within us, then we will see his kingdom come. We will see his will be done right at forth and oak, just like it is in heaven. Let me pray for us because I believe this, this is part of what God's inviting us into.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for those in the room who have been salt to me. In moments where I feel like decay is winning, they spoke words of life into my life. I thank you for the people in this room who have been light and, and where I've lived in darkness and missed, missed the freedom that, that comes from living in light. I know that there are some in this room who can't imagine that they're either. I pray that you give them courage to see you as powerful enough to redefine them. I pray that you would make us a, a people who love your people. You make us a people who live as salt, that we might preserve life, and that who live as light where darkness flees, where systems can't stand up to, and where we get to call out prophetically what the truth is. I pray that in mighty ways we would see your kingdom come and your will be done, just like it is in heaven, in your name. Come on, let's stand to our feet. The worship team, you guys can come on forward. We are called to be both salt and light. And uh, that's our prayer for you today. So before we close uh, this final service here in the Avenue Room, if you're here and you, you need prayer, um, I'm going to ask my, my counselors if you all can take stations. I've got Stephanie in the rear. Joshua, can you get over there for me? Well, Matt's there. I'm sorry. Joshua's right there in the back. Stephanie's here. And um, we love for you guys. If you need someone to pray with you about whatever God has laid on your heart, maybe the word spoke to you and you just... You need to respond. Um, you can see each one of them and their stations, and they love to pray with you. Um, and if you just need um, God to be with you, let's just pray that he does that. So I'm going to say a prayer for us all. Then the worship team is going to lead us momentarily. And if it's you, don't. Don't let any stop, thing stop you from moving forward. Maybe, maybe you're ready to commit your life to Christ. They're there for that. Or maybe you just want to know more about how to get closely connected to this community. We love to see and talk with you then. So let us pray. God, we are called to be that city on a hill. are called to be salt and light. So God, please open our hearts that we may respond like so. And help us, Jesus, so that we can be more vulnerable to you and walk into the truth of what you're calling us to. 
And right now, I pray for that man, that woman, that boy, that girl who is in here today, whose heart is calling out. May they respond and take another step closer to you. Move, Holy Spirit, in us all. Amen. Amen. Our counselors are there. Will you, will you now come? Take a moment. Don't rush this time. Will you come as the worship team leads us? Father's children in the house today, amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bless his name. All right. 
So please don't forget, don't forget, next Sunday, if you show up here, the room is empty. Don't worry, the rapture didn't happen. You did not get left behind. You did not get left behind. But join us, join us down the street. And again, um, there's going to be stuff that all of us can do. And, um, and we'll be there um, just serving alongside one another and uh, worshiping God as we work. And uh, I'm sure, Mr. Paul, you'll love the help, right? Mr. Paul, we're so grateful. Come on, give Mr. Paul a hand clap. He's been, man, really working hard, juggling three or four things and still finding the time and the energy to help us out. And we're so grateful um, to you, Mr. Paul, for your service towards us. All right? Come on, grab the hand of your neighbor and, uh, and let me bless you before we leave today. For all of our guests, um, man, I, I love to meet and chat with you before we go today, Matt and I both. And uh, so please don't rush out. We like to get to know your names and, and connect with you a little bit. And, um, and we pray that this isn't our last time seeing you. Listen to these words. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Will you do me a favor? Will you shout amen? Amen. amen. So it be. Amen. God bless you.